A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Jerez, Spain was the scene for the sixth round of the MotoGP World Championship. And it was Francesco Bagnaia who took the headlines, uh, setting a blistering lap time to take pole position before going on to take his first win of the season, making it five different winners from six races and doing absolutely no favours for our own predictions leaderboard. We'll come to that later. Anyway, the recording date is Monday, the 2nd of May. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me is Crash Moto GP editor Pete McLaren and of course, former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Ewan. Keith, it was another weekend, a hot weekend, hot track, lots of action. Although I have to say, I, I, I was, I, I did find it a little bit dull, the Moto GP race. There were some interesting bits. The fight for the podium was fairly good, but overall I thought it was, considering what a start we've had to this year, thought it was a little bit dull but is this the beginning of Peko Bagnaia's season? It's a fairly high bar when it comes to MotoGP and uh, action isn't it really when you're talking about it um, we're going to get onto cars in a little while because of Valentino Rossi of course if we're talking dull honestly Harry I don't know how you can put your, I don't know how you can put your oar in that one but yeah you're right I've got to agree with you <laughs> it was go. just a little bit below par as far as the action was concerned but of course if you're a purist like me and Pete then you can appreciate every single turn of every single wheel of every single lap and you've got to appreciate everybody is absolutely on the very, very edge all of the time, especially at a place like Hareth, when the track was warming up to something close to 50 degrees on race day. It just got warmer through the weekend. We've got weepers coming out the track, something you'll be familiar with, Ari, on, on ovals and stuff like that, that sometimes when you've had rain in the last week, somewhere the, the water always finds a way through the the back of the track and it just comes up in the odd little we can't even see a crack it just oozes through mm. and Hareth does suffer from that a little bit and we'd had really bad rain on the Thursday so it interfered with everybody's sort of setup they're having to dodge damp patches here there and everywhere and some quite big crashes on on damp Mark Marquez crashed twice on one lap um the second one he was cruising around just happened to touch a damp patch and down he went no damage to him or the bike but um all the same tricky conditions through the week and it got warmer and warmer. How can you have damp patches on a racetrack at nearly 50 degrees? I'm no scientist, so I can't wear that one out. But anyway, um, Quattararo is by far and away the favourite. Getting back to your original question, where did that lap come from that Bagnaia stuck in for pole position? I mean, it was six tenths quicker than anyone else at one point. Just an incredible, incredible lap. But if you wind it back just a few years, Bangnaya, when he first got on, uh, on, on, a, on a big bike, on a MotoGP bike, he was fast at Hareth, really fast, before he had a, a crash, I think, early race. So it's kind of one of those situations where we know he's got form. He was the favourite at the start of the year. It had to come together at some stage. And, uh, man, when it came together, it came together big time in, uh, in Hareth, that's for sure. There was no touching him. He was just imperious. 
exactly as you're saying, Keith. This is this was almost the race that we thought we'd see, let's say, at the start of the season. If, if we go back to the end of last year, wasn't it? If someone told you, well, Bagnara and Ducati, the guys to beat from, say, Saturday onwards on the timesheets, Quattararo, you know, the guy taking the fight to him, and then you've got the other, you know, Marquez, the top Honda fighting for the podium, Miller fighting for the podium. Alacious surprise again, of course. I think we'd probably have swapped in with the Suzuki, let's say, if we were speaking in December last year. But otherwise, this is, it's taken until round six, but we finally got kind of, let's say, the, the order at the front that we were sort of expecting, let's say, at the end of last year. But as you say, Keith, those two guys were the class of the field, weren't they? I mean, to, to pull that far ahead of the others, um, you know, there was no one near them really in the race at all, was there? They okay, they were starting at the front, whole, but... whole length of the front straight, whole length of the front straight. Yeah, you know, you don't see that nowadays in MotoGP. It just doesn't happen anymore. But um, to be that far ahead at, at that time, it, the, the pair of them were a cut above. But having said that, Quattararo just couldn't quite make that work, could he? Couldn't quite find that place. You know, Bangnaya and that Ducati are so good on the most the places where you're going to make most of the passes on the brakes. Just couldn't get near him. Is this track specific or are we now starting to see now that we're up and running, you know, we're starting to see, right, this is this is the order. Quattararo is back at the front. Bagnaia, as Pete was saying, with the Ducatis, we were expecting them to be up front. But there's still the only repeat winner is Anea Bastianini. Everybody else, it's a brand new winner each time. So is it a, a track specific thing or, or are we still in this sort of no man's land of God knows how the podium is going to end up next time? If you wrote it down on a piece of paper, Ducati would not do anything at Jerez. Jerez isn't the track that you would expect Ducati to be good at. <laughs> but it is. I mean, and that's the wonderful thing about MotoGP. The next track we go to is supposed to be a Yamaha track. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't have a Ducati in the mix there as well. You know, when we go to Le Mans, you know, you would expect, you know, there'll be a few other factors in, added to that. Of course, the uh, French factor, um, which always lifts the two Frenchmen, Zarco and, uh, and Quattararo as well. So there'll be that extra. You get a tenth of a second, I think, for your, for your home race, usually just as a, a matter of course. But, you know, it, it's a remarkable thing in MotoGP. I mean, look how difficult it is to predict who's going to do what. There are so many so-called experts, including <laughs> us, although I wouldn't put us in that category, judged by our form. <laughs> but, but the fact is, is there's so many experts trying to predict who's going to do what, including the teams, and they're nowhere near it. It's just you know, another remarkable season. Um, I don't think it's track specific is the short answer to your uh, question before I started rambling. It's, um, <laughs> I, think that, uh, I think Ducati, um, you know, <sighs> What is that extra piece of spaceship they bolted on this week as well? The, the, the pneumatic front end. The, the, you know, even though we're not going to have shapeshifter, you know, ride height adjustments come 2023, Ducati is still chucking, you know, hundreds of thousands of bucks at it to, to make that system work to the best it can. I mean, you, you've got to hand it to Ducati. They're not shy when it comes to to actual um innovation even in the short term what did um Giabatti say at the end i i, I saw him apparently they were going to have a drink and uh and uh and he was talking about the engineers and he and he was saying that engineers do have a heart after all because they were going to join them for a drink that <laughs> evening which made me quite smile at the time i mean it seems like a a very happy camp that up until this weekend has been underachieving so maybe they deserve a drink he must have been Quite under a possibly. massive amount of pressure. You know, I, I remember a few years ago in Qatar when uh, when Dovi won for Ducati, 
and uh, just happened to be leaving the track at the same time as Gigi and, and those other guys. And the look on Gigi's face, it was it was pure happiness, but it was relief. You know, it was just the relief of having achieved what is expected of them. These race wins, they're under, as he says, they're all under so much pressure to do this. And you imagine Ducati, they've come into this round six. Yes, they've had two wins, as you say, Harry, with last year's bike. You know, they've still been waiting for a win. This is the first one with the GP22, and it must have been a massive relief. So I'm sure that there were, <laughs> there were a few drinks last night ahead of the test that's going on today though so not not too many um but yeah <laughs> massive massive amount of pressure everybody in MotoGP is under and so yeah you know Van Nuys been building hasn't he he's 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 he had the shoulder injury a week ago of course he was riding with that in the race you know, obviously didn't stop him winning but who knows without that maybe he would even have been quicker but he's been saying that he's had the pace he's had the, the bad qualifying things and things like that well the golden golden question is to say harry is is this the start of a, a run of form and that's that's where Le Mans will be so important for them to keep this momentum up because he's still where is he 33 points behind in the championship so he really needs to start eating into quattararo's lead and, and stop quattararo getting away as he did a year ago yeah, well, his previous best was what fifth this year, twice before before taking the win. So, uh, and he currently sits fifth in in the standings. Um, so, you know, he's got ground to cover, Keith. You guys will have got this as well because obviously it's the Ducati Lenovo team uh, media releases. It's quite amusing that they had to remind all of us, uh, and you you will have seen it. Ducati is the only manufacturer to have won races with two different riders this year. The Ducati Desmosedici GP is the only bike who has started from the front row in every race this season. Ducati has scored three wins out of six Grand Prix held in 22 so far. Ducati is the only manufacturer who's been on the podium in every race held this season so far. Now, they've got eight bikes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 They, did, they didn't have that, that one. Ducati, it's quite funny that they, they kind of had to... Yeah. Um, had to send that out <laughs> to, just to remind all us media types of how well they have actually been doing. Uh, well, uh, it was certainly, as you say, uh, probably a bit of a weight off their shoulders. Um, rounding out the podium was, of course, Aleish Espargro in the Aprilia. Uh, might I remind our dear listeners and Keith that myself and Pete McLaren both predicted that Aleish Espargro would be on the podium and that he would finish in third and that Aprilia would then officially lose their concession. So I think we get bonus points for that one, Pete. Uh, so I think I we're you running do. on that. But, <laughs> you I, mean, do. I started you off last time out when the prediction was more difficult to predict. <laughs> and it's obvious he was going to lose concession, so you don't get a point for that. Oh, well, we'll have to talk about that. But, um, but yeah, Keith, I mean, uh, great a news great for Aprilia and a great ride once again from Aleish. Yeah, and I said this before we came on air a minute ago that, um, you know, are we underestimating Aleish? You know, as he made the step, as much as Aprilia have made the step, it's going to be very interesting. Vinales still isn't cutting the mustard, so you can pretty much expect him to be, well, I don't know where he's going to go at the end of this year. I really don't. I mean, he is a brilliant rider, Maverick Vinales. Even came out with the proper Top Gun Maverick helmet this weekend for for special effects. I mean, that had a second in it on its own, you know, like from my, my standing anyway. I even watched Top Gun again the other night just to remind myself of how poor a movie it was. <laughs> but the fact is, is that, that you know, Maverick's not performing. Aleish is performing. Some of that has got to be down to the rider. Um, maybe Aleish is, apart from the, the, the world-class whinger that he can be, maybe he's also, you know, perhaps one of the top-class riders that we've underestimated slightly here as well. Maybe he has gone from being... 
the one trick pony that used to be able to stick one lap in that would get him somewhere up the front of the grid and not manage it in the race. Maybe that has all been dialed out and Aleish is a much better motorcycle racer than perhaps, you know, a lot of people were predicting or, or had already said. So whoever comes into that team alongside him has got quite a tough adversary there as a teammate. You know, he's, he's, he's got confidence. He's had a couple of third places now, which has, you know, put them where they ought to be. So they, they're on the same situation next year as the right as most other manufacturers this year they'll only have seven motors next year they lose extra testing concessions and so on and so forth it's quite a lot they lose next year but they're there they're in that place great system MotoGP. great system to 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 bring the 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 lagging party and of course any other manufacturer that doesn't get podiums can gain concessions as well so it's, it works both ways it's not like you had them once and you can't get them again if you've got someone who falls behind then then concessions can come back in for that that manufacturer so it's a great system that dawner and erta and, and obviously to some extent i suppose the fim or did they just rubber stamp it i can't remember yeah probably <laughs> cynical human as usual <laughs> i really will be they'll be the third manufacturer to sort of graduate through this concession system which as keith says is working really well so we saw suzuki go through it and then they actually dropped back for a year didn't they as keith says they had one season without a podium. And if that happens for anyone in MotoGP, you get concessions the next year. So they then dropped into concessions again and came out of it again. We've seen KTM come out of it, stay out of it. That's worked well for them. And so now it's over to Aprilia. As he says, from next year, everybody will be on under the, exactly the same rules. The only thing that they lose immediately is that they can't do any private testing now with Aleish and Vinales. But they haven't done any of that since the season began. So you can't imagine it's going to really be much of a setback for them. Vinales maybe will will wish that he had more time on the bike. But, uh, you know, for Aleish, I mean, he, he sort of joked it'll give him a bit more time at home. So... You know what? I mean, they've just done a, a MotoGP weekend. I don't know about you, Pete, but you know, as a journalist, everyone's knackered on a Monday, absolutely destroyed. Imagine now that today, while we had our cups of tea, got up a little bit later than normal on Monday to do our little podcast and have a little chat with your mates, they're all buzzing around Hereth in the heat right now, slogging their guts out, trying to find something else uh, for Le Mans and for, for the future. You know, no, testing is a nightmare when you're testing through the year. They have got 19 rounds of Grand Prix to do this year. You know, back to backs all over the place. All the travel that goes with that. You know, I know it goes with the job. And having travelled the world in a very fortunate position to have to have travelled the world as a, a commentator. Um, because when I was racing in Grand Prix, it was pretty much a European championship. You know, you were never more than three hours away by plane from just about any of the rounds. Whereas now it's the other side of the world. And again, you know, repeat moving from side to side. It's, it's a big deal. If you don't travel well, it affects your weekend. You have got to dial that in as well. So I think that um, more testing during mid season is a, is a tough ask. You know, I think perhaps there will be some, something might change during the winter a little bit, depending on budgets. That's the other thing, the amount of cost involved nowadays, and everybody's got to be mindful of, you know, wh where we're coming from in the in the world of, you know, and it's going to get worse with the war that's going on in Ukraine. You know, the, the world is a very difficult place at the moment for for finance, for, 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 for your general public, particularly. Everything is flying through the roof. That's going to pull back the figures on, on who's going to go trackside, how much money there is in sponsorship. You know, 
all this is going to be affected massively into the future. You know, not a short term either. I think we're talking about, you know, the next five years, this is going to be affected. You know, how many people were at trackside? 65,000 um, on the day. You know, that sounds like quite a lot at Hareth. But of course, there was over 100,000 there before. That's not actually um, accounting, of course, for those that came under the fence, over the fence or through the fence, which there would have been quite a few in Spain and in Italy when we get there. Um, but the fact is, is that it down, you would have over 200,000 people there during the course of a weekend, normally Hareth. They'd be, you know, you'd have to leave your hotel at four o'clock in the morning to be able to even get in. And that's if you're part of the teams, if you didn't sleep at trackside. So, you know, things are still down, things are still lower, and they will get worse in the next year or two because of the war. You know, the, the war in Ukraine is, you know, and if it escalates, God forbid that it ever should, but if it does, then, then you know, sport is going to find itself in a lot of trouble. Yeah, some incredibly valid points there, and we're already seeing it firsthand affect, you know, not just motorsport, but all sports. You talk, talk about it there, but freight delays and all this, it all stems from, from what's going on there at the moment. So, uh, yeah, it's something to bear in mind, isn't it? But uh, as we say, with that podium, Aprilia now uh, will lose concessions. They're second in the team standings, third in the constructors' standings. So it's all looking rather rosy uh, for Aprilia. I'll tell you who it's not looking too good for at the moment. Um Came onto the scene last year, Bright Spark, uh, now 24 years old, in Keith Ewan's mind. That's over the hill for Jorge Martin. Um, too many crashes, Keith. Um, he's fast, but is he a bit too furious? Yeah, I mean, I think that Hereth just amplifies everything. Yeah, Hereth is one of those racetracks. As it gets through the weekend, it gets slipperier, even without the damp patches that were there earlier on in the week. So it's a difficult track if you're not quite 100%. I mean, you know, Man of the match for me this weekend was Mark Marquez to come through into fourth place. I think that's twice I've given him that this year, even though he's not been on the podium. It, it's one of those situations where, you know, he's ridden particularly well in very difficult conditions. We even saw a classic Mark Marquez front end save this weekend as well, which was good to see him back on that kind of form. You know, Jorge Martin, uh, he's going to get there. He's a fast guy, you know, inherently fast, provided he doesn't get injured. He will get there this year, you know, what was it that we saw at the week? Was it everybody under a second or something for the whole track? It was. It's so incredibly close that even the slow guys are fast. You know, it's it's not it's not something that you can get away from. You know, somebody. You, it used to be that you came in and looked at your monitor when you, as soon as you rode into the the garage, you looked at the monitor and and to see where you were in the in the in the pecking order. Twentieth. Now you can ride in and look at the, you don't look at where you are. You look at the time because, you know, you're within a second of, of the pole position guy, mostly. I mean, Bangaya obviously was um, was pretty superb in the race and stuck that pole time in that, that no one expected. But normally, under normal circumstances, you look at that monitor when you come in. There used to be a time when it used to have to be on two pages because there were so many starters. that you, you And God forbid if you're on the second page and your mechanic had to step up to the monitor and press the button to switch pages. That was really annoying. <laughs> I think it, on that it's fair to say though Pete isn't it that out of every racing championship going right now I think it's fair to say that MotoGP is probably the most competitive it looks that way to me Harry yeah I can't speak for the other championships but MotoGP is as close as ever isn't it and going back to Jorge Martin of course he's under this pressure as far like a lot of guys to get a contract for next year we know he wants a factory Ducati seat there's a lot of competition for that you know Jack Miller and Bastianini um, Jorge Martin 
as you say, he's shown his speed. I mean, I think four front rows this year, wasn't it? And he's had one podium, but yeah, it's just sort of the last few races and all these incidents. I guess it comes back to that question, doesn't it? Is it easier to, to get a fast rider to maybe stop crashing than it is to make a slow rider fast? You know, that classic sort of motorsport quote that probably applies that he's another one of those guys, but it's not helping his cause, is it? At this exact moment where you've got this competition for the seats next year. And, um, you know, but, but Bastianini also, the last two rounds, I mean, it, it hasn't gone to plan for him. So difficult decisions to make at Ducati. And, um, you know, especially Jorge Martin, he's already on the latest bike. So there's really only one place up he can go, if you like, and that is to the factory team. Bastianini, we've mentioned, he's on the year-old bike. So Ducati can say, well, we'll give you the latest bike. So, you know, that in itself will be a promotion. Now, whether that would be enough to keep him if another factory steps in and says, well, we'll give you a full factory team ride. This will all be going on now. We've heard that maybe Quattararo is now very close to a deal with Yamaha, which I think, again, comes down to what we were saying about there's no real one standout factory at the moment, is there? All, all the factories are sort of quick one week and then they maybe suffer the next. So why change? I think, you know, he's getting the guarantees. It seems that the bike will be better next year. The team, the investment, everything else It's not really... You know, if there was one manufacturer that was dominating and that manufacturer came with a wheelbarrow of cash to Quattararo, maybe that would be easier to get him away from Yamaha. But we're not seeing that, are we? He's now back on top of the World Championship. He won in Portimao. He was fighting Banyai for victory. So I think it's all falling into place for Quattararo to stay where he is. But who falls after that? You know, we keep hearing that Suzuki want to keep their riders, but no one's signed. There's also the Aprilia seats. You know, Keith was mentioning about Aleix Finales, but neither of those are contracted yet. KTM still has one seat alongside Brad Binder. There's the Repsol Honda seat as well. A lot of play, lot of big rides still to still to fill. And maybe for teams that have one rider already, would they try and tempt Jorge Martin away from Ducati as their number two, or or Bastianini even if Ducati don't give them what they want? It's all to be seen. I think what's happened this year is manufacturers have been a bit more coy compared with how they've been in the past, where they got everything done and dusted by the time we get to March, April. You know, they 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 got caught out back then. You know, we've got a situation where Davizioso will definitely retire at the end of this year. He's done. Um, so there's a space there straight away. Davizioso, he's not going to perform. He's not going to get anything better than what he's got already. So I think that that, that we're going to lose him. Then you've got the likes of Bezeki, you know, as a rookie coming in there and actually riding really, really well. You know, so you've got a situation where that balances out a little bit. But I can see some, some rebalance going on here. Rins has consistently underperformed. Consistently. You know, he makes unforced errors. If he was a tennis player, he, you know, he'd be down the rankings because he makes unforced errors. And they seem to, that seems to be, he's fast, but he does seem to, to just break away so often. I can't get a grip on Rins at all. Mia is, is perhaps just about getting back to where he needs to be. Um, Suzuki's looking good. I, it's a really difficult one to call this year. I've got to say, there are, there are a few riders that you might consider dropping and a, and one or two that are sort of beginning to perform. You know, Marini, I expected Marini to be slightly better than he is. Now, he's obviously going to be safe because of his brother. I'm sure you'll want to get onto that subject in a minute, Harry. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, lovely segue. But I just want to pick up on what you've said about Rins and Mir, actually, because you say that about Rins, but you look at the results and you look at the standings. Rins is ahead of Mir and, and has consistently scored better this year. I think as a team manager, though, you've got to look at potential. I mean, it was back in the old day of the Andreas, wasn't it? The two at Ducati, Andrea Davizioso and uh, that, that you know, crazy Joe, as was. Um, you know, who would you pick out of the two Andreas back then? It looked like Yanone had got the place. 
know, until he wiped everybody out at uh, Argentina, if you remember, he took the took himself and Dovi out at the, the final set of corners at the end of the race and 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 cost Ducati dearly. And he'd be, he'd, he committed a couple of faux pas up to then. So that was kind of like the straw that broke the uh, Ducati back. But it, it was, who did you go for? Back in the day, I think I'd have gone for Yanone. He looked like he'd got more potential to develop into an even faster motorcycle racer than he was than Dovi. Dovi was that steady, linear kind of, you know, improvement as the bike improved he improved with it and and rode brilliantly but it was almost too too calculating too smooth for motorcycle racing you almost wanted to to put the wild card than the nutcase in there and 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 i and i think that that still is a, a kind of a problem for team managers where's the development coming from what's the rider that has the the greater headroom where can we find that extra bit they're all pretty good obviously but where do we find a rider that's got that extra potential to develop that little tiny step further into that consistent race winning um, rider? And that is a really big challenge nowadays for, for team management. You've obviously got all the other managers, the personal managers running around behind the sheds, running around behind the motorhomes, all trying to do deals everywhere, move their chess pieces on the MotoGP board. Um, but it's it's down to the teams at the end of the day to make the right signings. And I mean, I think this year that there've been one or two that, probably didn't quite make the signings that you might have expected them to. And they'll be looking hard at, inwardly at that. You know, what have we done wrong here? Why has this not happened? If you were a team boss and you had two seats to fill, who would you be signing up? Bezeki's looking good. You know, Bezeki's looking very good at the moment. I mean, you've got to look at, you know, what's coming. I mean, everyone's going to hang on to their top men. There's, there's no, you know, like Yamaha are obviously going to go the extra half yard to, to make sure they hang on to Quattararo. Otherwise, they've got nothing. You know, I said it last week. I said it the week before. You know, Honda have Marquez and he does on a Honda what no one else seems to be able to do consistently over the years. Now we've got a situation like that in Yamaha. Quattararo is, is ruling the roost. There's, you know, Dovi and Morbidelli is the biggest disappointment. I mean, Benka Morbidelli, I expected to come back from that injury and be right there. Now, there's, there's either something seriously wrong with his side of the garage. I, I don't understand what it is and no one's going to tell us. But clearly, Morbidelli still has a problem. You know, to finish where he finishes consistently is is not not bloody good enough. You know, not for him, not for them. Um, Davizioso, you can almost say, well, okay, he's a bit long in the tooth. It was a bit of we took a bit of a punt with him. He could have come good. Um, he hasn't. Um, so we'll let him go at the end of the year. That, that's where that's headed. Um, but Morbidelli is the is the bigger concern because he was, you know, one of the great hopes, and he hasn't performed. Getting underneath the skin of that is going to be taking quite a bit of doing. I, I mean, I'd like to know where that where that is. I don't know whether you're hearing anything from around the paddock, Pete, but I'm not. I mean, injury-wise, yeah, as far as I've heard, he's he's over that. It's done. But problem is, injury-wise, it kind of moves upwards and it gets about here and sticks. You know, you can be one of those guys that's taken a massive clattering and you can't get over it psychologically. You know, he's still a very, very fast motorcycle racer. But he's somehow got to get out of that situation. <laughs> I don't know why I'm smiling. It's reminding me of the Top Gun film again. He won't engage. He won't engage. <laughs> Sorry. After he's had that big um, flame out. It's, uh, anybody that's not watched Top Gun will have to now. Sorry. Yeah, nice little plan. I apologize in advance. <laughs> well, hang on, though. So, so Bezeki, and who's in your other seat? Really, really difficult. Really difficult. Bastianini, 
of course, Bastianini, the way he rides a motorbike. He's, the trouble is with Bastianini, and not the trouble is, he's brilliant. Um, the, the situation is with Bastianini, he's riding last year's bike. Last year's bike has all that data. I don't think they've caught up data-wise with the latest bikes yet. That, that's, that's an ongoing process through the early part of the year. I think we'll see the factory, you know, Ducatis get faster and faster and faster as Gigi finally works out all the quirks in all the new tech that he's put on the bike. Um, and I think Bastianini probably benefits from the fact he's got last year's bike with last year's uh, data and it's pretty much laid out for him. They know where they're going with that bike straight away as soon as they get to a racetrack. And Bastianini rides it really, really well. He's got a really smooth wrist on him. Um, but Bastianini, I think, is is has is, is got room for development as well. I think he's he's... He's done better in MotoGP than I thought he'd do from the get-go, which I'm really impressed with. So they'd be my two at the minute, I okay. think. Hugh in Racing coming to 2023. Um, Pete, I haven't got, got the money. I haven't got the money. Yeah, we're looking for sponsors. Uh, if you know anybody, send, us, send them our way. Uh, Pete, go on. Same question to you. Who would you have? Two seats to fill. Who would you put in? What you see is that you have one top guy, as Keith says. So, you know, you, the, the factories always like to keep someone on, don't they, for continuity, everything else. So, you know, you have your star rider, which is, normally the obvious guy the guy who's performing best so if you're a prillia i unless you tech three and <laughs> we said yeah we factory your satellite now i'm going with the fact i'm pretending i've got a big budget here keith so i'm gonna go with the factory choice <laughs> too, so, too expensive too expensive yeah uh but i mean and then you you'd be tempted to take a punt on a younger rider everyone's always looking for the next young big star it's what you guys were just talking about isn't it no or should i say nobody wants to miss out on the next young star do they and, you know, we've seen the guys like Quadraro come in and do something amazing. As we say, Ducati have got a couple of these guys that might be this next big young star, the Martins, the Bastianinis. And, and you know, there's a danger of losing them. I think I agree with Keith. I think Bastianini is the safer choice of the two. Martin has the raw speed, no doubt about it, we were just saying. But I think Bastianini at the moment on that year old bike, yes, it's a more proven package, but, you know, he's in he's in a. Uh, a satellite team they haven't got as many ducati engineers all that kind of thing and uh, to do what he's doing is exceptional to win two races you know grassini have been with aprilia for all these years they've come in they've had all that disruption of losing fausto everything else so i think all that combined i think really bastianini is he, he's got that right balance between the speed but bringing the bike home and getting the results and i think that's what as a factory team manager that's what they want you know they, they look at young riders to to you know come in put them in the satellite team do some learning okay if they fall off a bit fair enough but when you get to the factory team they can't have you throwing it down the road every week because they need the points for the manufacturers for the teams and all these all these boring things if you like but they mean a lot to the factories and uh, so that yeah that's who i'd go for yeah i think bastianini is the safer bet of these rising young stars you gave me a bit of thinking room there pete which is always <laughs> a bad thing to do because it takes a long time for my old brain to tick over Nakagami, <coughs> who hasn't performed really where he should have done. Nakagami, I can see him getting replaced by Ayogura. Mm. If Ayogura carries on in Moto2 in the way that he is at the moment, based on last weekend particularly, um, you know, they, I think they're desperately looking to the sides to see whether they can find somebody in, uh, in, to, to replace uh, Nakagami. Nakagami is kind of underachieved. He's not made that podium that he was expected to do for some time. Um, Maybe he's weak as well. And if Ayagura carries on in Moto2 in the manner that he is, I can see them replacing uh, Nakagami with a Moto2 man. Well, there are certainly a lot of cracks uh, up and down the MotoGP grid, aren't there? And lots of good performances from the Moto2 side of things as well. We will come on and, and talk a bit more about Moto2 in a minute. But I do want to move on to um, Valentino Rossi. 
You think we forgot about him? Absolutely not. If you're keeping up to date with Crash.net, you'll see that we are covering uh, his action in his new venture, the GT World Challenge. Four wheels. Can you believe it? Um, and he was racing Keith this weekend in Brands Hatch. They do two races. He shares an Audi R8 with a couple of other drivers as well. They take it in stints and that's how it works. Um, got his first points, finished eighth in the second of the two races, avoided a huge crash in the first race um, and performing, I think, fairly solidly. But it's interesting, isn't it, how a driver, a, 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 well, he is a driver now, but a rider of that caliber just simply can't call it quits completely. You can't go cold turkey, can they? Well, no, you never could. I mean, it's um, it depends on where you are in the pecking order of things. But I mean, a lot of us have, have, have dabbled with four wheels after we did the bikes. I mean, that just seems to be a normal normal run of things. You've always fancied taking a bit of a, a look at how difficult it is. I think Valentino had talent in the four wheeler. You know, working back to the to the early days. I mean, you know, been various Ferrari looked at him and so on and so forth. You know, back in the day. But I think Branzach, Sunshine, Valentino, Rossi. Huh, what's not to like about that weekend? Just a shame it clashed with everything we were doing this weekend with, with MotoGP and BSB and so on and so forth. But again, you're going to think all I do is sit on a bloody couch and watch TV. But um, I was watching that uh, Steve Moncelli. Um, it was on Sky Documentaries last night. Um, the Steve Moncelli doco that the Valentino featured in quite a lot. Uh, about the Marco Simoncelli. Anybody that doesn't know Marco Simoncelli, he won his first uh, Grand Prix World Championship at Sepang International Circuit and was killed at Sepang International Circuit um, some three years later. And Valentino was and Colin Edwards were were part of the three guys that came together when um, Marco crashed and was sadly um, killed. But the interesting part of that was was how much Valentino and Simoncelli were competitive away from the from away from the scenes. Uh, Valentino brought him in. They, they used to race around this quarry. I can recommend the the, the the doco. I don't think it was that great. I think it was made by Sky TV Italia. But um, it, it, there were lots of bits missing. It sort of jumped a bit around. <clears throat> but the Valentino stuff was quite interesting from the fact that he used to hire this quarry and they used to ride around his quarry. Really dangerous with all this bloody quarry kit, cranes and God knows what everywhere. And he brought Simoncelli in at the time to try to up the level of challenge. Valentino has always had, now on the ranch, the more sophisticated side of the Valentino empire, the ranch, they bring in all the latest riders, all the quick young kids. And Valentino is, you know, even at 43 years old or wherever he is now, 44 years old heading for, um, he's always made sure that he's had these people around to sharpen his edge all of the time. I can't see where he's going to stop. You know, they're, they're, I've got friends that still race cars. Believe it. I'm a fellow, a friend of mine, Mike Wilds, who's also a helicopter instructor. I mean, he's a, he's a glamorous fellow, isn't he? Mike Wilds. Look up Mike Wilds, Harry, if you don't know him personally. He's a great guy, drives really fast. You know, he's, he's ancient and he still drives cars really quickly. Um, and I can see Valentino going on that kind of distance. You, you just... What you do is you adjust the series that you're in to suit your capabilities to some extent. You know, you go when you're really old, you go classic racing. You know, there's there's so many great classic races to go to. Goodwood, the revival, the members meeting, so on and so forth. There are all these things. Valentino doesn't need money at all. He really does. He doesn't need any more fame. He doesn't need any more anything. He's now 
you know, with child as well, his family is now built, you know, or building, you know, we're in a situation where it is just that absolute burning passion that he has in his heart. And that rush that you get, I mean, all of us, and I don't think there is one racer that took his racing seriously, that reached a reasonable level, that doesn't occasionally hark back and I really can talk from experience here. I watched the TV last night and I look back at some of the some of the things that Marco Simoncelli was doing and some of the mistakes he made in his early life and some of the comments that were being made. And it brings it all back. It rushes back. It's like a flood of remembering what you went through at that time, how exciting it was, how you look forward to being at a racetrack, getting to a racetrack. I have a daily war with my wife over holidays. I'm interested. I'm not interested. And I'm 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 a I'm an, an awful husband for for the fact that all I want to do is spend my holiday at a bloody racetrack. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's actually quite wrong, and I and I know I'm not a good person for it. You know, and, and it's something I've got to deal with. But I just want to go racing. I just want to go and watch race. I want to go and be amongst those people. And it's it's a really difficult thing to get out of, even with a family of you know five that we've got here. Um, you can't get away from it and it, and it and it affects your entire life forever <laughs> so i can't see valentino a man that has the resources and and the infrastructure to do whatever he wants to do in the future yeah. um doing what he wants to do in the future but it, it it's how you're wired isn't it keith clearly because you've got that racing driver brain that that well i can't speak for pete but you know i i, I obviously don't have that but interestingly he may have that passion and that want to continue racing but and he must have this belief that he's going to get better and better and be on the top step of the podium be fighting for titles and championships but that that switch is it is hard to do but and if it doesn't happen is he gonna still have that drive to to carry on finishing in eighth no he won't finish he won't obviously if he doesn't see an improvement he'll he'll either adjust like i said he'll either adjust a series to something that suits him better um, or it'll, it'll, it'll wind it down to some extent, but you'll you'll always have that mm. that that in your mind. It will always be there. He'll never ever lose that, especially him. You know, he's a guy that's gone on into into old age effectively from from a racing point of view. You know, we, we're talking about you know the men from the the fifties used to race into their forties, but like you know nowadays it's it's a, it's not it's quite a rare thing. I mean, some of that is is down to the fact that teams give you the sack before you get a chance to, to <laughs> develop any further on. Of course, there is there is this raft of youngsters coming through, although that's obviously changed with the eighteen year old entry level rule now that we're, we're going to be starting from next year. So it moves the scale up a few years, but but all the same, it's a it's a situation where normally the decision on how, when, and where you go racing. It's not your decision. You know, you're, you're always racing at the highest level you can possibly race at. That's that's the, the key here. You're always trying to move that step forward. But occasionally, eventually what happens is, is someone else makes a decision for you. You know, like we talked about Davizioso. It will probably be his decision as well, but he won't get an opportunity to race, you know, in MotoGP next year, I don't believe. You know, there will be other riders that, that, are, that are feeling a bit nervous at the moment because they're looking around them and seeing who's in their slipstream for their ride at the moment. So they get eased out fairly soon valentino rossi retired at the top end he was still top 10 material any day of the week you know even in a, in, in his worst years you know there are some records he didn't break he still got the most wins in motor gp of anybody you know agostini's still behind him but agostini won more top championships by one i think i think 
you know, I think he won eight and Valentino run won seven, didn't he, in, in, in the, the top class. You know, so it's there, there are some things that Valentino didn't achieve. These these are not of any interest to him, by the way. These are not things that, that he will, will be losing any sleep over. But the fact is that momentum, that forward, he he won't keep going forward if he can't see a step forward, if he can't make a progression, because that's the way that races are wired. If they cannot see that they're moving forward in, in that particular situation, then they, they won't continue with it. And they won't be allowed to. Even Valentino Rossi won't be offered the top drive if he isn't performing. That's the way of sport, and I love it. In terms of where Rossi wants to go with this, I think that the long-term goal is, is Le Mans. That seemed to be everything he was speaking about last year, his final year. His eyes would light up when he spoke about you know wanting to do Le Mans. Now, I'm no expert on sports car racing, so I don't know exactly what the path is to get there from where he is now, but that seems to be what he's looking at. So once he achieves that, then who knows? You know, As Keith says, I think it depends on how competitive he is. As far as this year, it looks like the highlight for him will be racing at Spa. I think there's a, there's a big 24-hour race at Spa that, that, that his championship does. And he's never raced uh, at Spa at all. And obviously a legendary track. So that's, that's another one that he can tick off his list for this year. So uh, those two things look to be motivators for him, aside from the obvious thing, which is he's got to be competitive. I mean, Rossi is, you know, he's a winner or he's got to believe he has a chance of winning. And as long as he sees steps forward, as Keith says, I'm sure you'll keep doing it. It'll be in a couple of years when he's, when his kids are a bit older, maybe I say kids, maybe there'll be another one, but you know, when they want to go to school and things like that, how would he feel then about, you know, going off racing? Who knows? But for now, I think that's where he is. He's looking forward to doing these sports car races, Spa, Le Mans as soon as he can in the future. And, and then it depends on the results. Certainly does. Well, if you want to see him again in action, the next race is uh, Magni Core, and that's round three of the GT World Challenge on the 13th to the 15th of May. And I, I think you're right about the Le Mans ambition. And he certainly, you know, that is the path, usually GT racing, and he, perhaps he will race in a GT3 car. You know, he's always had those links to Ferrari. You know, they might well want to, to field him as part of their lineup in, in the multiple classes that, that make up Le Mans. But it's certainly going to be one to watch, and, and we'll keep you updated with it as well on Crash.net as to how Valentino... Uh, gets on in the four-wheeled world um back to two wheels you'll be back you'll be pleased to hear um and let's pick up keith shall we on on ayagura as you were mentioning a potentially touted uh to replace takanakagami performed excellently in the moto two race didn't put a foot wrong really controlled the race um from start to finish uh, to dominate special kind of a race i would have said for i uh, you know like from the lights out no one could touch him couldn't put a glove on him controlled it as you say from the front of I mean what more and not a mistake I didn't see a mistake anywhere uh, really really good ride from him difficult to understand you know where you'll go from disaster for the Brits of course I, I, I actually Iogura was brilliant as brilliant as Aaron Canet was brave tough superb to finish second with that injury from the week before is remarkable you know, round her ref. You, you, the, the, when you've got a motorcycle, when a motorcycle is traveling quite quick through corners, when you've got lots of, you know, switchbacks and the like, and, and you've got a lot of momentum in the wheels, which which makes it harder to get from side to side to to sometimes get it where you want to get it. Um, Mugello, for instance, is very, very difficult from side to side because they're traveling at such high speeds. The gyroscopic effect of wheels makes you have to put more input into it. And so I think sometimes we underestimate just how much a rider has to put through the 
the handlebars to make those bikes go where they go. So for Aaron Cannon to finish second in the way that he did was brilliant. And then, of course, you'd got the, the disasters that befell, quite literally, the likes of Dixon and um, and our mate Sam Lowe's. You know, like just a, an awful situation for the, you know, Sam Lowe's is a potential winner around Hareth any day of the week. Um, so for him to be out of that was a disaster. Jake, you know, what can I say? Unfortunate. And, and I'm not his going fault. any further than that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, not laying, I'm not laying any criticism here at all. <laughs> there ain't any coming from me. Yeah. I'm myself. That's what we got Pete for. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, talking about, just go back to the front of the, the race there, Ayagura. If you, uh, nice if you nice swerve. Well, if you sort of squint <laughs> your eyes a bit, you can almost see a, a Danny Pedrosa sort of shape on a, on a Repsol Honda. I don't know, because he, he's a very small guy, isn't he, Ayagura? And he, he hangs off the bike and it was very smooth and... I thought it was a massive race for him. Obviously, his first win in any kind of Grand Prix class. So, I mean, I mean, if he can do that, even I would say one more dry win this year, and and for me, beyond doubt, he deserves to be on a satellite Honda next year. Um, yeah, as far as as far as the Brits, what a shame. I mean, you've got to believe Sam was easily on course for a podium. I think he was in fourth, closing on Arbolino, his teammates, and and yeah, you know said it before that in this year where there's so many new winners was it was that the fourth new winner Ayagura or something or the fifth I think that we've had this year I mean it's it, it really is a new sort of clean sheet of paper almost in terms of the talent but you've got guys like Lowe's that that potentially can lever their experience and, and try and be up there every week and that's the last thing you need is to fall like that so disastrous in terms of of, the, of sort of the point situation and 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 yeah Jake seemed to be very angry with uh, Fermin Eldegay I I, I I don't, he didn't seem to do Aldegar didn't seem to do that much wrong to me I, I mean there seemed to be a bit of space there but there we go let me um, let me just say that um, the Dixon Aldegar uh, coming together even though I'm not going to take sides at all um, it was good to see that Dixon and Aldegar was treated in the same way that um, Miller and Mia were treated when Miller ran underneath Mia mm. in Portugal um, no action no further action was taken deemed a racing incident where these things get really really tricky is when you have inconsistency in the way the rules if if dixon had got a a a penalty for that it would have felt to me like um miller should have had one in portugal it was a very similar it wasn't sort of a the the uh darren binder situation that we had in portugal a, a, a last year was it or the year before i can't remember now but whichever one where he took out for gia was it um, came from too far back, bouncing into them all and, and skipped with them. Um, that where he did get a penalty for that. I mean, it's a fine line that the stewards have to walk all of the time. I mean, it's a very, very tricky thing. But I, I was kind of half pleased that, that, that the consistency seemed to come from race direction in that um, Miller didn't get a penalty for wiping Mir out as a racing incident. Dixon didn't get a penalty for wiping out again. They saw it as a racing incident as well. Although I would have said slightly more borderline. <laughs> well, that's as far as I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> well, consistency from the stewards, at least. That's always a, a positive sign, I think, isn't it? Um, well, at the end of the Moto2 action, it's uh, Vietti still on top, uh, ahead of Ayagura and Tony Arbolino, of course, uh, now in the top three of the standings. Aaron Kinnett and Joe Roberts, top five. Jake Dixon uh, down in 12th. And Sam Lowe's uh, just skirting into the top 10 in the uh, standings at the moment. So uh, they'll be back in action in France. Uh, Pete, Moto3 
And it was Isan Guevara on home soil who rode around the outside at Lorenzo Corner to win uh, the Moto3 Grand Prix as the race, well, it really went all the way to the line. As usual, Moto3 providing some of the best action on the Grand Prix Sunday. Um, final lap, it was the, the front five sort of pulling clear and then hell for leather in the end. What you got to remember is it's a Lorenzo corner, which I always find quite funny because it's where Lorenzo got punted a few times uh, at the end of races. So the, they named a hairpin after him, which doesn't seem really quite fair to me, considering the quality of Lorenzo through fast corners. I always thought that was a, a misnamed um, corner, really. Someone was taking the mickey out of him. Although Lorenzo this weekend was declared a MotoGP legend as well, which is a good thing. So Jorge, five times a world champion, as he will tell anyone that will listen. And it's it's great to see him recognised as the great that he is. Now, if you remember on Jorge's helmet, he had that arrow, that red arrow that goes around. And the the word something like in Spanish, and I'm going to get crucified for this because I do not speak Spanish, por fuera, which means round the outside, effectively, because that's one of his biggest moves that he made in his career, round the outside to to do the business. So... um, the fact that Lorenzo Corner and Isan Guevara went round the outside. I mean, all those things come together for me and stand the hairs on my arms up because I'm a bit nostalgic like that. It just feels like a very, very uh, apt way to, to win your race. One of the toughest moves you can make and, and, and it all fell for him dead right. And there couldn't be a happier man, I don't think, on uh, the Jerez soil than Isan Guevara this weekend. It, well, it was an all-Spanish affair, really, on the podium, wasn't it, Pete? Um, the, the front five did pull clear. And in the end, it, you know, with Sergio Garcia in second as well, Jaume Messia uh, stealing third. Dennis Onchu, really the big loser in, in that final lap. Yeah, almost a repeat of last year. He'd lost out at the final corner last year as well. So, yeah, really unlucky for Onchu. Uh, yeah, as you say, went into the final corner fighting for the win and came out of it without even a podium. So, yes. He's too big. Yeah, I mean, this is this is what's being said. He's just too big. He I needs mean, to be a too. <clears throat> Unfortunately, he's, just, he's, he's, he's there or thereabouts performance-wise, but he's just too big a lad. He needs to move on. He needs to be Moto2 next year. Well, well it, perhaps he will be promoted. Um People to look out for a little bit further down, uh, opposites, although Scott Ogden, another good run of form, top Honda, um, top 11 for most of it, but then I think he just got pipped at the end, didn't he, and went down to 12th or 13th, I think, in the end. Um, and then on that's the flip. A, that's a big deal, Harry. Yeah. Top Honda is a big deal. You know, when you consider the people that were behind him on Hondas, um, I think Scott Ogden has, uh, you know, Michael Laverty has, has, has managed to dig out a real gem here. Um, I think Scott Ogden is, is is somebody that's, you know, Josh Watley, I feel a bit sorry for. He was withdrawn in the end. He had a bit of a big off and uh, rang his bell. But um, Scott Ogden is is absolutely doing the business. I wonder if we're going to see Michael Laverty, you know, expand his team. That would be the thing for me. I wonder if we're going to see, <clears throat> the thing about Michael is he's so incredibly quiet and yet so incredibly clever that he, he, he just, he's one of these guys that you can't, <clears throat> Excuse my throat, by the way, folks, if you listen to me coughing away. it's um, um, so Michael Laverty really has got one of those situations where I can see him becoming a real, you know, proper team principal. You know, he is a proper team principal anyway. Sorry, Michael, if you're listening. Uh, Motor3 is a proper team, by the way. but And he stepped in at the last minute to, to produce this team. You know, I get the feeling, though, Michael is he's on the very edge of holding it together at the moment from a broadcast, from a team, from a management point of view. I just feel that he's spread a little bit too thinly. 
Yeah, I was listening to him at the weekend and his commentary just felt a little bit more on edge, just a little bit like he'd got a lot going on in his rather large brain. And at some stage, I can see Michael having to make a decision over whether he is going to be a broadcaster with all the commitments that takes. And there's quite a lot of commitment to that time-wise or whether he's going to be able to, to move, step back and, and become a full-time proper team manager where he has to be there looking after everything that's going on. I mean, it could be argued that he's, you know, he's obviously got Taylor McKenzie in there. That's, that's his underling, if you like, that's running the team day-to-day wise. But there's nothing like having someone as sharp as Michael instantly available for every decision that's being made. And I think that that, that will be the next progress that, that Michael Laverty's team will make in that Michael will spend more time, you know, hands-on if you like. Yeah, he's there, um, but the hours of what's needed from a broadcast point of view, I just wonder how much he's going on in his head when he's talking with Susie Perry and he's working hard on on the television stuff, how much his brain is is looking to the side, worrying about what's going on with his team. It must surely be affecting with the, with the way he's thinking. Mm. It's got, that's going to be an interesting development over the next year for me anyway, from a from a team and a management point of view. We'll have to, I wish um, Michael all the luck, by the way. He's a great guy, runs a great team, was a good motorcycle racer in his time. Um, he, he is really quite a revelation this year for me behind the scenes. And if they can keep that together, I mean, it looks like they've really, as you say, struck gold with Ogden here. And, and if they can keep that together and move up together into Moto2 and beyond, because we have seen, haven't we, guys that did really well in the junior class, they move up, but they change teams and things like that. And it, you know, it can kill the momentum a bit in their careers, can't it? Whereas guys that are able to keep in the same group and to sort of go up with them to the to the next step of the, you know, the intermediate class, Moto Two, it seems to be a smoother sort of graduation. So, I mean, it would certainly be, I think, fantastic for Scott's career as well if Michael is able to expand the team in the future. But fantastic, I mean, top Honda. I mean, that, as Keith says, that's a big deal. Foggia, where was he? 18th. I mean, uh, you know, uh, it's got to be. Here's one for you. Here's one for you then. Michael manages, as well as all the other jobs he's got, he manages John McPhee. McPhee's not going to be in Moto3 next year. If he gets a Moto2 team or moves on to Moto2, maybe McPhee has got a place in there. Just throwing that one in. <laughs> I've got no knowledge at all regarding that. But I know that Michael and John are quite quite close. You know, McPhee could find himself out of Grand Prix next year. I can't see where else he's going to go. Um, I don't see who's going to take a punt with the, the, the dearth of talent that's coming up through Moto3 and in Moto2 already, where McPhee will fit into that. Um, so it, it kind of has a, a kind of, I don't know, a logistical kind of feel about it that if if uh, Michael was to be able to move anything into, I mean, there, there isn't the space at the moment. The other thing is what you've got to remember, Erta are oversubscribed in all classes. You know, it's a, it's a situation where, they only allow the, the, the teams and the classes that they have in Moto3 and Moto2 already. It has to be someone that suffers financially or is in difficulty for there to be an, opera, op, an opportunity for Michael to take over or anyone else to take over a team slot, as Michael did in Moto3 when Patronus fell out and Michael took it over at, at short notice. So it has to be that situation before anybody can come into Moto2 anyway. Um, but it could be interesting to see whether McPhee is given a lifeline through his management um tomato too i think i think we need laverty back on back on the podcast to have a chat with him he wouldn't tell you anything i know <laughs> <laughs> but i, I mean just He's looking looking at the at the standings uh, and john mcphee yeah that's now five races he's missed you know that's a and we spoke about it coming into the season did we this is a bit make or break for him really isn't it this year 
Well, Le Mans, he's, he's brilliant at Le Mans anyway. I mean, it's a situation where, but Le Mans is another one of those racetracks where you get slightly iffy weather. You know, uh, penalty never fits the crime at Le Mans. You can make the slightest mistake and you're on the floor. Um, it, it, it's really one of those, it's a bit of a Mickey Mouse racetrack. It's, it's probably my least favourite, <laughs> even though from a career point of view, it was probably one of my highlights. But from a, from a, uh, from a, a track point of view, it's my least favourite racetrack. It's stop start. It's awkward. It's it's you know there's plenty of mistakes to be made. That run into the line at the end is dead Mickey Mouse where we go across the 24 hour course and you know so on and so forth. So it's um but it has a huge atmosphere. You know if you're an animal and you fancy living in a tent and burning every fence that there is in the town to to set fire to um and 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 you don't mind using every single hedge that you can find as a toilet it is just an awful place it's 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 like going back to the 1970s um which surprises me somewhat in the run of things but it is a classic of course because it is the french grand prix um should we be at manicor should we be at paul ricard should we be somewhere other than le mans probably but there is nowhere like le mans for um for the atmosphere and for of course that nostalgia of the past well, save it's it for you. Save it for Everyone moans about Argentina, <laughs> saying that Argentina is is a nineteen eighties type style thing. But I think Le Mans is is below that personally. Well, can't wait for the insider's guide on that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really selling it. Um, no, no racing uh, this weekend, of course. But uh, before we wrap things up, Pete, there is testing going on currently as as we speak. So I think there's just sort of had the morning session now. So what are we expecting for, from this arrest test? We've got obviously coverage of it on, on Crash. Yeah, so it's one of the rare in-season tests or any tests that they get now. So it's a, it's a big chance for, for track time. As Keith was saying, you know, after a Grand Prix weekend, the last thing some of the riders want is to go out and do a full day of riding. And they'll probably do what, two, three, sometimes four Grand Prix distances over the course of today because they need every single lap they can get. The weather looks to be fine. Uh, in the morning session, Paul Espargaro was quick, Quattro was quick. But with testing, what you tend to see is that they use their standard bikes, let's say, to set a run, set a lap time, get some data, and then they try new stuff later. So they've got something to compare it with. So really, it's it's the lap times that will come in probably midday, mid-afternoon um, that will be the important ones. Also, because that's when the track will have lower grip. But as always with testing, there's a lot of rubber on the track, which means that sometimes things that work, let's say today, might not work when they get to Le Mans. That's always the tricky bit. But a really important day for the for people like Honda that uh, that are still sort of searching for a direction with their new bike it's very important as well that, that a test at Hareth has not got any more than a day in between it because what happens at Hareth the track changes to such a huge degree that you can't the data is different you know you, you you test there at the beginning of the year when it's cool and you're putting in some magnificent lap times and you get there now and the track's warm and you're all over the hockey so to do a back-to-back is really really valuable from a from an engineer's point of view, and they just got to knuckle down and do it, the riders. They don't want to be doing it, believe me. To, like you say, to do that kind of distance the day after, after they're already, you know, blister-ridden and, and tired. But they've got to do it because that back-to-back test is probably one of the most valuable of the year where they can test stuff when it's all just fresh and hot from the day before. Um, you mentioned Polish Bargro. Winding back a bit to this uh, podcast about people that might get the sack and might go somewhere else. Now, I would say he, if he continues in the way he's going, now there's a candidate for what's going to happen to Paul. You know, at the beginning of the year, I'm pretty sure he was my hot tip for um, 
doing great things on that Honda. I thought that he would rise to the challenge. He was a he's quite a tough rider, quite an aggressive rider. I thought it might suit the Honda, his style, but it's just fell apart. Now there's a man that's got to get his head back in order. Now his brother's running away on an Aprilia. He's on what should be one of the best bikes on the on the track and uh, he's struggling like mad with it at the moment. So Paul Espargo is one to watch over the next few Grand Prix, that's for sure. I think we'll have to do a, an in-depth look, uh, in, perhaps in, in the summer break, uh, and sort of looking at you know who's hot, who's not, who's going to get the sack and who, who's not. It might be a nice one. Uh, let us know as well in the comments if you've got any burning desires for us to talk about anything, topics or things like that. Always uh, pleased to hear from you. Uh, let us know your predictions as well as they come in. Our leaderboard currently stands. Keith, you got a point with uh, Quattararo taking the win. So you're on six points in the lead. Pete. Second. Oh, sorry. Yes, you're right. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. You. Put, oh, sorry. You said he was going to win, but no. So you get a point. Pete <laughs> got two points for Quattararo and Alicia Spargo. So you're still in second with three points. And I'm finally on the board with my picks of Quattararo as well. And Alish, two points on the board. It's getting tight. It's a long season to go. Um, as ever. Make sure you're tuned in across Crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week. Of course, with testing, Pete's keeping you up to date with all the timings on that as well. And we shall be back with you same time next week. Get your questions in, leave them in the comments section uh, or tweet Instagram, Facebook us. Just search Crash MotoGP. Please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And yes, we'll be right back here uh, next week. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.